You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, and a big thank you to the Climate Action Collective for another great show. I'm Judith Peppard, and I'll be taking you through for the next half hour. I begin by acknowledging that 3CR is broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and we pay our respects to Elders, past, present, and emerging, and to First Nations peoples who may be listening. Today on Communication Mixdown, the topic is electric vehicles. a bit of the Beatles there with their 1965 song, Drive My Car. And of course, the car we'd be thinking about at this moment during the climate emergency is an electric car. But the strategy released by the federal government on November 9th, the future fuels and vehicles strategy, is not likely to get us there. My guest today is Dr. Jake Whitehead from the University of Queensland. Jake has a background in transport science, engineering, and econometrics, and has had more than 10 years' experience working in the transport sector in Australia and Europe in preparing for the electrification of transport. Jake has written a paper for the conversation entitled As the World Surges Ahead on Electric Vehicle Policy, the Morrison government's new strategy leaves Australia idling in the garage. I began by asking Jake what the new strategy offers, like what's the good news? In addition to the discussion paper that the government put out earlier in the year, they've now committed another $178 million primarily towards additional charging infrastructure. So that's welcome. I would like to see the significant majority of that money focused on regional and rural communities where we know there's a keen uh, want and, and desire to switch to low and zero emission vehicles, but in infrastructure is holding them back. So I I certainly think that's a step in the right direction. The problem is that it doesn't do anything really to address the major supply issue that we have, and that's just getting the vehicles into our country to give people the choice to be able to make that switch. And the government says that they're very much for providing choice. Unfortunately, this policy doesn't give any choice for consumers. And you say in your paper that the new plan is not the strategy that Australia deserves and badly needs. So you've already mentioned just getting access and being able to buy the vehicles. What are the other problems with the Morrison government's electric vehicle strategy? 
for a long time, the current government has seen this issue as purely an environmental issue. And I'm very much inclined to want to support the uptake of electric vehicles to reduce emissions. But I think we have to take a broader view on what are the economic opportunities of this transition for Australia. And so one point that I think a lot of people would be surprised to know is that each year, as a country, we're spending more than $30 billion on imported fuel. That's more than $30 billion largely that's flowing out of the country uh, to support foreign energy jobs. And purely by switching to electric vehicles, we would be able to redirect that money into Australian jobs, supporting Australian-made energy to support electric vehicles. And because electric vehicles are at least 70% cheaper to run, we would also free up a lot of that money to be spent on other goods or to pay down debt. So again, these are all points that you would think our current government would be very keen to support. We've seen this about face over the past couple of years, uh, transitioning from this uh, really extreme language at the at the last election about ruining your weekend and not being able to tow your boat and caravan to now all of a sudden being on board. And, and I think they really need to explain why they've had this about face and simply saying the technology is improved is, is not good enough because yes, we have seen technology improve incrementally over that period of time. But realistically, the writing's been on the wall for five or six years now. Many of us have been screaming and yelling, we, we need to wake up, get our heads out of the sand and recognise this is the way the world is moving. And if we don't start to plan for that, we are going to be at a disadvantage. Because if you think of all of our competitors, if they switch to electric vehicles quicker than us, that means that their transport systems are going to be 70 to 90% cheaper to run. That's getting goods around the nation. That's getting people around the nation. If we are then having a system that's that much more expensive uh, in terms of transporting goods, it means we don't have that same level of competitiveness. So this is a major economic risk for us that we're letting just pass us by, by not taking a more serious look at the action that's required. We don't need to throw tens of thousands of dollars per person to get the incentives in place to encourage that transition, but we do need a significant and sustained incentive package over the next five years, I would argue at least, in order to get that model supply into the country and give consumers that choice to be able to make the switch to an electric vehicle and save money, as well as redirect their spending into the Australian economy. Yes, and you mentioned earlier the regional areas, and I would imagine farmers, the amount of money that they're going to spend for fuel, for example, would really benefit from this. It is the junior partner, which claims to represent rural Australia, who is actually opposing a lot of the climate change processes that are being recommended. Yeah, I certainly think that there is a disconnect in the National Party between the reality of what is actually going to help improve the livelihoods of farmers and their stubborn ideology in terms of just not wanting to support anything that has a green tinge to it. This is where I hope we can evolve, move beyond seeing this as an environmental issue and see the economic benefits that it can deliver for everyone, including farmers. I mean, effectively, what they are saying is they would much prefer Australian farmers to be dependent on imported expensive fuel 
instead of using Australian-made energy to support their livelihoods. I don't think that that is a tenable position going forward. They really need to take a step back, let go of all of this baggage attached to it being a green or environmental issue and think, how can we make farmers' lives better? How can we give farmers more security? And that's switching towards a transport system, uh, including agriculture, that's powered using Australian-made energy, uh, specifically electricity. If you've just joined us on Communication Mixdown, I'm speaking with Jake Whitehead from the University of Queensland about the federal government's future fuels and vehicle strategy, released a couple of weeks ago. And while farmers are important, I wondered about other people, those concerned about the environment and want to buy an electric vehicle, but are on a low income. I asked Jake if there was anything in the strategy for them. Unfortunately, no, not not really. I mean, in maybe the next two years, they, they might have access to more charging infrastructure, which, you know, again, is, is important. But unfortunately, the current uh, strategy does nothing to give them access to more models or cheaper models that are going to be making that transition easier. So we've seen some state governments introduce some relatively minor incentives. Uh, New South Wales and the uh, ACT are probably leading in this space. New South Wales are offering a $3,000 incentive plus an exemption on stamp duty. So that's a great step in the right direction. ACT also offer a interest-free loan up to $15,000 to help kind of cover that gap between a petrol and diesel vehicle and the electric equivalent. So they're really good examples at a state level, but this is a national issue and that's where we need to see national leadership. And our prime minister says, you know, three years ago, he didn't see this transition happening. I'm not sure that that's a credible position when he's now trying to tell us he's got a plan out to 2050. His job is to demonstrate leadership, show vision and set targets for us to be able to achieve those ambitious reductions in climate change emissions, but also that revolution of our economy that's required. It's no longer an acceptable position to say Australia is just going to continue to sell coal and gas and be dependent on that for our prosperity. No one should be comfortable with a government that says your future livelihood your future prosperity is going to be dependent on fossil fuels because that's a fairy tale. It does nothing to give anyone certainty. It certainly doesn't give anyone in the coal mining or gas economy a sense of what is going to be required for their future to transition to a sustainable livelihood. And so we need to just be honest and realistic. These things aren't going to change overnight. Uh, but we need to have a plan that allows us to make that transition and, and make that transition in a timeline that doesn't jeopardise the future environment of this planet. Yes, and I noted in your paper, you said that in 2019, the Australian government modelling predicted that electric vehicles would comprise 27% of new sales by 2030. Now, the exciting, quote unquote, new measures announced by the government will lead to only a 3% increase in what would have happened anyway. So who are they trying to fool? Yeah, and to be honest, I, I think them taking credit for that 3% is probably a bit generous based on what's in it. So, you know, we'll, we'll give it to them. But yeah, realistically, who, who are they trying to kid with this? 
This is a very poor effort. It's not in line with other conservative governments internationally. You only have to look at the Boris Johnson conservative UK government and the type of action that they're taking to completely transition their transport system, move not only cars, but also buses and trucks to zero emission equivalents. This does not have to be an ideological partisan issue. This is only an issue of whether you're living in the real world and looking at the reality of what is going to deliver economic benefits at the same time as reducing emissions, or on the other side of the fence, sticking your head in the sand and kicking your can down the road. And unfortunately, at a federal level, it's simply, well, we're not going to be around in 10 years to really have to be accountable for this issue. So we're not going to do anything right now. And it's just not something that the electorate should accept. They might not be around in one year, but uh, but we'll see. Now, I'm also interested in Australia's commitments around COP26 in relation to electric vehicles. So what has Australia signed up for? So they've signed, I guess, an agreement called the Breakthrough Agenda. And it is somewhat vague, but As a general principle, this agenda has outlined a commitment to make electric vehicles the new normal by 2030. So effectively, in eight years, electric vehicles should be the new normal. Now, if you were to interpret that, you would think if electric vehicles are the new normal, that should mean that at least half of all new vehicles sold are electric vehicles. So by default, you would think we should be aiming for at least 50%, if not more, by 2030. And so I think probably if it had said 50% in the agenda, it wouldn't have got signed. The fact that it used a little bit more vague language, it has been signed. But we need to ensure that they're accountable to that and, and be very clear that if electric vehicles are going to be the new normal by 2030, and that is what you're committed to, you need to commit to at least 50% of all new vehicle sales being electric by that time. And to do that, we need to have a million electric vehicles in the country sold in the next five years. So where is the plan to get us from 30,000 today to a million in five years? The current plan is not going to do it. What the state and territories are doing is not going to do it. So we need to have an honest conversation about what we need to do to get to that point. An honest conversation. What a refreshing idea. And we'll hear more from Jake Whitehead right after these messages. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. So, here you are. Too foreign for home. Too foreign for here. 
never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Jan. You're on 3CR, 855 on your dial and streaming live wherever you are. And today on Communication Mixdown, I've been chatting with Dr. Jake Whitehead from the University of Queensland about the federal government's future fuels and vehicle strategy. I asked Jake what Australia could learn from other countries that are further along in the electric vehicle policies. Incentives are key to this. Uh, You need to put incentives in place to help give consumers that opportunity to make the switch. We know that electric vehicles currently are more expensive to buy than petrol or diesel equivalents uh, in, in most categories, at least in the mass market. So that additional cost is a burden that households and businesses need to take on. The good news is that because electric vehicles are so much cheaper to run, over time, you can end up in a situation where you're actually saving money. But in the beginning, to get that ball rolling, we need to have those incentives on the table to be able to give that leg up for Australians to get into the market. This is also important, though, for securing that supply because manufacturers like Volkswagen, like General Motors in the US, like Ford, They're looking at the Australian market and they're going, okay, well, we've got a government that says these vehicles are going to ruin your weekend. We've got a government that doesn't offer any supportive policy. We know if we send our vehicles to Europe, Canada, US, China, they're sold before they even hit the dock. So why are we going to take the risk with Australia? I mean, even New Zealand has now a policy of providing an incentive of more than $8,000 to purchase an electric vehicle. And, and people are saying, well, well, that sounds like a lot of money. I mean, you know, is this something really a wise economic decision for the country to take? And I come back to the point, we are spending $30 billion, more than $30 billion on imported fuel every year. That is the cost that we are trying to avoid. So whilst these incentives in the short term, might seem like, oh, that's an expensive investment. It is exactly that. It's an investment in our future. Overall, studies have shown right around the world, you know, with these incentives being a cost, you still end up having a net economic benefit because of all of the cost savings you get from switching to electric vehicles. And that's even before we've started to talk about the climate change issue. That's purely just looking at trying to save money in terms of your transport costs. You've then got things like public health. I'm glad that the federal government is now recognising that public health costs are real. They're saying in their plan that they'll be able to save somewhere around $200 million in public health costs. That's because our current cars and trucks and buses fill our communities with carcinogenic fumes. They are literally killing us. And yet it's a hidden cost. It's a hidden impact on society, but it's real. And it's something that we need to address. And I would think that now they have accepted that uh, our current transport system is having such a big cost on our health that they would want to do everything in their power as quickly as possible 
to ensure that as little harm is done to the community from carcinogenic fumes in petrol and diesel vehicles. What would be better? What would you like to see? What do Australians deserve in relation to electric vehicle policy? So let's forget about 2050 for now. Let's look at the immediate future. By 2027, we need to have 1 million electric vehicles in the Australian fleet. So in these next five years, we need to have incentives somewhere in the order of seven to $8,000, similar to New Zealand, uh, similar to many other countries around the world, to be able to give Australians that leg up to get into an electric vehicle and also to encourage manufacturers to bring more vehicles into the Australian market. We need to have clear targets set for manufacturers that they need to achieve over time. And we need to, in fact, start charging a penalty for those very polluting, high emitting and harmful vehicles that are coming into the country that in fact are illegal to sell in most comparable countries around the world. I welcome the continued investment in charging infrastructure. And I think that is a step in the right direction, but there's much more that the government can do. And on that incentive front, a really simple fix. How about the GST? That's something that is collected by the federal government Uh, It goes to the states and territories. The states and territories could collectively agree and say, we are happy to forego GST revenue on electric vehicles for the next five years as an incentive to encourage uptake. And that together with, you know, exemptions from stamp duty and vehicle registration would be about the size of the incentive package that we would need to get to that target. There are lots of options that are available and many have been tried and proved to work in countries overseas. So we're not even entering new territory here. That's right. We have the the benefit here of looking across the world at all of these success stories and being able to learn from them. This is just a matter of looking at what other countries have done, what they've done successfully and implementing that here and having the courage, conviction and vision to do that in a way that doesn't mislead the community, but sets them up for a better and more prosperous future. So what the Morrison government has delivered here is really a Clayton strategy. Yeah, I I think that's a fair assessment. I think that there is a lot of frills and a lot of excitement trying to portray this as really making a difference. But ultimately, there's very little substance in there that will make a significant change to the future uptake of electric vehicles in Australia. Uh, This would have been a great policy for 10 years ago, but the world has moved on. And if we are to catch up, we're going to have a a much more serious action plan uh, for delivering that change on electric vehicles in the country. And that was Dr Jake Whitehead from the University of Queensland. And I'll put a link to his paper on the Communication Mixdown website. And the title of his paper is As the World Surges Ahead on Electric Vehicle Policy, the Morrison government's new strategy leaves Australia idling in the garage. And a big thank you to Jake for making time for our conversation last Monday and to you for tuning in to Communication Mixdown here on 3CR. I'm going out with Pira and the song they released in 2020, Limousine Lies.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.